Now you the cut in my short thing. For your sake, I go go touch We go drive around you for my Porsche. Baby, Pana. They say you like to holla. I got to holla. Baby, Pana. Anywhere that you go, I go follow you to go. Baby, Pana. They say you like cassava. I get to be cassava. Baby, Pana. My love for you. You never die, you never die. Uh, oh baby, Maybe you too sweet, you oh, baby, dance Thank you for calling. We regret that we have been unable to enter your call. Please send your call to as soon as possible. Thank you for calling and have a good day. Thank you for Second in a series of 
takeaways from the African Diaspora Conference, which took place about two or three weeks ago in Dallas, Texas. A lot of things were discussed, and uh, of course we know that the theme of the conference was introducing the African Continental Free Trade Area. So last week we looked at health, Roger. This week we're looking at education. Now, it, 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 everybody knows this. Everybody talks about this. Everybody says this. You, you, cannot, you cannot separate development from education. You can't. And neither can you, support, can you separate development from health. If you do not have a good health system, a good education system, you are not going anywhere, okay? So as you, everybody may know, one, for me, one of the big takeaways whenever I attend a conference and which has helped us to build this forum uh, by this forum, I mean this show, Zambia Block Talk Radio, we just celebrated 10 years, is the networking that takes place at conferences. And these are some of the, our two guests today are coming out of that powerful, powerful conference that took place two, three weeks ago. And uh, Dr. Margaret Ellis is a certified international speaker, uh, leadership trainer, coach, consultant, uh, she's an international author, certified marriage coach. If I read her bio, it will take half the show. So we'll just say good morning, Dr. Ellis, and welcome to the show. Hello, Margaret. Okay, probably uh, she's having challenges. All right, our other guest is... Uh, uh, Mark Swift, uh, Mr. Max Mohoyete is the Director of Finance at the Association of African Universities, uh, which is an international non-government organization set up in 1967 uh, by It brings, I think, all universities in, um, in, in Africa. Uh, Max, my brother, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Nathan. And how are you doing? I am doing just fine. Uh, I do not know... You've reached the maximum voicemail length. To send the message, touch okay. star or hang up. Uh, I don't know what's happening with our sister Margaret. Let me just try to uh, to connect her as we say good morning to Noah here. Hi, Noah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, right. everyone. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Uh, Dr. Ellis, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, I tried to connect you. It went to voicemail. I am here. So you want me to... Excellent. All right, that's fine, that's fine. All right, everybody, uh, we've introduced... I was introducing you thinking you were on, and then... Uh, everybody, uh, the voice that you're hearing is that of Dr. Margaret Ellis. She's a certified international speaker, a leadership trainer, coach, and consultant. She's an international influence coach and author and writer. And we do welcome you to the show, Dr. Margaret, joining us from uh, Mountain Time, Time Zone. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Uh, Maxwell is already here with us. Before we get into the nitty-gritty discussion of education solutions for Africa, which is our theme, um, I would like us to to know a little bit about the two of you so that our listeners can understand when you're speaking from which angle you're talking from, that you're not just speaking from uh, abstract. Uh, Dr. Ellis, uh, 
when somebody hears these terminologies, international, certified international speaker, leadership trainer, coach, and consultant, uh, what, 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 who, who, is, who is this person with these credentials? Thank you so much. That's the heart of what I do. So my work is centered around education. Whether I yes. am working with an individual, an organization, leaders, youth, women, children, whatever I do, both in the in um, the USA and in Africa, it is all centered mm-hmm. around education. Okay. Training, Excellent. Teaching, coaching. Yes. You do, do, you do some, uh, what do you call it, is it a visiting lecturer or adjunct professor uh, in, yes. in, in some African universities, right? It's the University of the Gambia. Okay, excellent, excellent. Maxwell, I heard about the, the Association of African Universities when I attended the conference. I'm like, Roger, I was saying to myself, there are so many of these important organizations we don't even know about. Uh, talk to us, what is the Association of African Universities about? Thank you, Nathan. Uh, the Association of African Universities is an international, non-governmental organization established yes. in 1967 by UNESCO, the mm-hmm. universities then existing in Africa, then 34 universities out of 37 universities in Africa, with support from the African Union itself. It is the okay. apex body. It is the apex body for consultation and serves as a forum for all African universities and tertiary institutions, including research bodies in Africa. So mm-hmm. the AAU, uh, that's how it's currently known, the AAU yes. is the apex body for all universities in Africa. Okay. So for a university to be a member of AAU, what does it take? The reason I ask you that question is we are, we are, we are now coming from a background of something which wasn't familiar, Dr. Ellis, in Africa, where we have a lot of private universities that have emerged. So what does it take for a university to be part of this organization? Yes, uh, to be admitted a member of the AAU, uh, you need to meet certain criteria. The first okay. is you need to be accredited in your own country. All right. In other words, your overall education, higher education regulatory body must recognize you as a provider of tertiary education services. You should have graduated at least your first cohort of students. Mm. You also need to meet certain criteria in respect of your academic staff, uh, your library, among others. So okay. after passing through all this, you will be vetted by the AAU governing board. And if you pass, you'll be admitted into mm. the national. Okay. That sounds like it. I just wanted our listeners to get a, just a general perception and understanding of uh, uh, what the organization is about and uh, what you do. Okay. Uh, the theme of our conference was, and I want us to connect this to our discussion of uh, education solutions for Africa, because if we are going to integrate and do business together, there are a lot of things. It, it's not just 
politicians, Dr. Ellis, meeting somewhere and putting a signature to paperwork. There are a lot of factors, technical issues that politicians overlook and ignore when it comes to that factor. And one of the things we are dealing with this morning is this issue of education. My question to you is, is our education system in its current state relevant in saving the development process that we have embarked on in Africa? I believe I'll go first to, to respond to your question. My, my work, Mr. Nathan, my work in Africa is centered on influencing through education. So mm -hmm. when I speak about education and relevance, I'll begin by defining the current state as I experience it. Yes. So education in general, we know it is defined as the process of educating, which is teaching, or being educated, which is learning. So mm. when we talk about an educated African, we should envision a, a person who has been taught formally or informally, and through learning, they acquire the competency to function in a certain field or a certain capacity. And yes. to build this level of competency, the process of educating our people must be very relevant. That's why we are talking about relevance today. But mm. the reality is this, Nathan, what I see on the ground. The reality is this. The characterization of our, of our education in the continent is road memory. It's basically garbage in, garbage out. And what I mean is that learners are taught to regurgitate what has been given to them without creativity, without enhancement, or without the ability to analyze or to even apply what they have learned. So, and, and that our learners are unable to enhance, enhance the information they are given because the content in most cases is not even relevant to them. And I'll cite from uh, a couple of examples. Let's think about our, at the elementary level, when our young minds, the preschoolers, yes. the three-year-olds, the one-year-old, the two-year-olds, when they are in nursery school, what we call it in the continent, on the continent, nursery school, they are taught the alphabet. That young child, that young mind, is taught A for apple. But until the moment that young child is in that school in the village or is in that school in some town, they have never seen an apple, they have never touched an apple, and they have never tasted an apple. So the teacher in the classroom is teaching them every day, A for apple, A for apple, E for elephant. But these are all abstract things. They have never seen it. So they, they learn it, they memorize it, they regurgitate it back to the teacher, but they are not taught to apply it. They're not taught to relate to the content. And if you cannot relate to content, you will not be able to utilize it to develop yourself or anybody. I have a personal story myself. When in, in school back in 1994 in the Gambia, I studied a poem by Robert Frost. Robert Frost is an, is an American. And the poem was titled, uh, it's titled The Mending Wall. So we, we learned the poem in school. My teachers and the Greek note version, which we were using, taught me that the poem was about a rural farmer and his neighbor and a stone wall that they had to build because the relationship between him and his neighbor was not so great. They needed the wall. So I memorized the poem just like everybody in my class. I memorized mm -hmm. the scenery, the setting, the mood of the poet, and all the things that they taught us we need to know about poems. Passed the exams with flying colors, but never succeeded in understanding the true meaning of the poem. 
So fast forward mm-hmm. 2007. This was 1994. Now 2007, when I had to engage my neighbor in Texas to repair our damaged fence, it was the first time that this point came to mind that I, I understood what mending wall is all about. Because now I am in America in the setting and the environment and the culture where the poem was written. So I could yes. connect to the poem in, in 2007. Then later in 2015, when I heard several national debates and political debates about international borders and immigration and building the wall and not building the wall, then I understood in full circle that even the mm. teacher and the cliff notes only gave us one side of the poem, that it was about farming and a wall. But the, 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 the author of the poem... Robert Frost, the poet, he was also talking about borders and immigration and neighboring countries to the USA. So 23 years later is when I was able to connect with content I have learned. Now, tell me how, as an African, I can help Africa to build Africa if information, if knowledge and understanding is coming to me 23 years after learning. Mm. That is a disaster. That is a disaster for the company. And, yes, and the reason it, it took me so long for this information to register because I was educated in somebody else's world and, and about a culture that I couldn't relate to at the time. Mm-hmm. So Maxwell, to, uh, I don't know. Yes. Maxwell, I don't know which angle you want to come in from uh, to, what, to this question and how Dr. Ellis has responded. Oh, well, well, well. If Ellis is okay and she wants me to jump in now, I'm ever prepared. <laughs> okay. you are, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much, Nathan, Margaret, and team. Uh, in terms of uh, relevancy of African education, well, it's, a, it's an analytical, uh, analytical issue. Uh, I wouldn't condemn it totally to say African education is irrelevant. But the fact is, Considering our developmental needs, does it, to a great extent, meet what is needed or required for Africa mm. to move forward? We talk about Agenda 2063 and its various or seven aspirations. A prosperous Africa, integrated continent, good governance, peaceful continent, and so on and so forth. Underlying it all is a strong cadre of educated people intellectuals who should drive the process. I will start off with one key issue that we have on the continent in terms of demographic growth. Africa has about 60% of its population being the youth. That's uh, people under 35 years. Yes. In about, by 2050, Africa will have, probably will be about, the population of Africa itself may be about a third of the whole world. The challenge is the whole world is waiting so, uh, or the whole world is expecting Africa to provide a bulk of the labor force because we've got the biggest youth in terms of uh, proportion. The question we ask ourselves is, are we positioning them well? And the question is no. What we don't want is there will be the need for skilled labor. We have the human beings, but then they are not competent enough because we did not train them. And that's where we look at the issue of relevance in our educational system. I like looking at relevance not just from one point of view. Even though from higher education, mm. where I'm biased towards, I prefer to look at it at the various levels of education. Because the problem in Africa is that we ignore certain levels 
of education. For instance, yes. in, most, in most countries, they consider early childhood education, which is the first stage of education, as not totally relevant. So you realize government investment here is minimal. Government tends to focus more on the other sectors, primary education, secondary education, technical and vocational education, and university or tertiary education. Mm-hmm. One thing you realize, like I indicated, is when you look at our development policy, we tend to develop our education in such a way that there are no linkages or minimal linkages among these sectors I'm talking about. But critically, yes, you yes. know, each level feeds the next level. For instance, early childhood education. If you invest here so much, this is the bedrock, the foundation of education. Yes. And if you make it very strong, the other levels tend to benefit. But here is the situation where there's not much investment here, there's not much issues of quality assurance, and the sector is left to be operated by private individuals. So you realize that there are inequities and in terms of even output, man difference. Mm. So for the early childhood, you realize there is a problem. It is an area where you need to focus much. Countries which make marked development actually focus a lot here. If you talk about in Asia, if you talk about countries like Finland and so on, who have very good educational systems, they did not neglect their early childhood education. The next level which we need to look at is the primary education. Primary education also suffers a similar problem. When you study critically our primary education, you realize that there are basically about two actors here. That's the government itself and the private sector. You may realize in some countries that the private mm. sector may be very strong because they charge fees, so they tend to have better output. If you look at the dropout rate, it is very big. We have about uh, uh, 30 million uh, dropouts after, uh, after the primary education, which is not good for us. No. Yeah, if, you, if you look at even enrollment, average enrollment for primary education is also very low. And those who graduate, you know, I will supply the statistics as the discussion goes on. We have a similar issue with secondary education. You know, where we need to have investments in these sectors. You understand? Linked to secondary education is what we call the technical vocational education training and education. We know where we are going now. Skill development is very important. Africa, Africa Union, all the countries realize we need to invest more in training our people in skills. But the fact is, we don't do this investment. Most of the time, uh, uh, yes. let, let, me, let me stop you right there. We shall break it down in details as we go along. Because here is the thing, you you have you have tried to sort of emphasize this point of early childhood education, which is a very Uh crucial. We all know that Mm -hmm. the foundation is very important. Okay, now Mm here is what I want us to do, everybody: Roger, Dr. Patrick, uh, Dr. Elise, Noah. I do not want us to have this discussion with Lagos, Lusaka, Banju, Nairobi in mind. Let's Mm -hmm. go down to the lowest, if I may use that expression, 
to that remotest area, Dr. Ellis, in in our in mm-hmm. the beautiful, beautiful lands of Africa where mm-hmm. they see a car once a week or whatever. Okay, rural Africa is neglected. So, if we are talking about the relevance of our education, and I'm I'm giving a child in my rural country things that are based on a European culture, like you outrightly pointed it out, Dr. Ellis, what benefit is that child? Is it to that child? Like you clearly pointed out, 23 years later, that's when the poem made sense to you. So how relevant, what, when we do, do we really think about the rural, remotest areas of our countries, even when we talk about early childhood education? Because kids are starting school at nine, at eight, ten years old. Right. Mr. Nathan, I'll I'll speak to that because my work through our foundation in Africa Mm. uh, connects me to youth. And youth at the university level, at the tertiary Mm -hmm. institution level, and high school level. These are the, the students that are graduating out of high school, going into higher education, or going straight into the workforce. And mm. do you know that at that level, there are some of our, our young people who cannot even articulate what they would like to become or what field of study they would like to pursue or what kind of job they would like to do. Why? Because our education is never centered to, to or tailored or designed to address the local self-needs in our, in our continent or local self-needs in the area that that person, that child, that young young lady, young young man is educated in. It is mm. not relevant. We are educated in somebody else's world. If I ask that young man or young lady how many books they've read in their in their in their school career, they will list a number of books. They will quote for me some some beautiful quotations from from very powerful writers all around the world. But they cannot mm-hmm. apply what they have just shared with me in context where they are located. To, 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 yes. to solve a problem, to find a job, to, to shape a career, or to contribute to society. So, yes, we do have some, some countries, but the conversation here, like you said, is not about individual countries. It's about the entire continent, looking at it entirely. Are we in a good place when it comes to relevance? And my answer would be we have a lot of work to do. Mm. Maxwell, in the work of the AAU, uh, what... Yeah, I mean, this organization was established in 1967, so I believe a lot of work is being done and research in different areas. What, what, what is some of the work that has been done or is being done to make the education system culturally re- relevant to the African situation? I mean, we are a very diverse continent. North America is a different world. The West, to some mm-hmm. extent, is a different mm-hmm. world. The East... When you come to the south, I mean, what is some of the work being done to make things relevant to culture? Okay, thank you, Nathan. Yes, uh, from the point of view of the AU, in its 52 years of existence, uh, we've we've done a lot to improve mm-hmm. not only African higher education, but education in general. And I must mm-hmm. indicate over here also uh, before I proceed. The AAU is actually the lead implementing agency on higher education for the African Union. So we more or less, we are very instrumental on in areas of higher education. Higher education 
is actually also supposed to also help develop the other sectors of education, not only higher education. It's in higher education okay. that, you, that you train the advanced teachers and so on and so forth, those who develop the curriculum and so on. So in the work of the AAU, uh, we have done a lot, especially in the area of higher education, uh, to reform education on the continent. How do we do it? The way the AAU operates is such that every couple of years or two years or even within mm. years, we identify thematic areas which are mainly issues of, uh, or challenge areas that the continent actually faces. Then the chief executives of all the universities will meet to deliberate on this and draw a roadmap as to how we go about it. For the past, I'll say for the past close to about 10 years now, you realize that there is so much emphasis on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education, the popular STEM. Why AAU, I would say, is very much in the middle of this. Why the focus of STEM education? Because we realize the whole world is now technology-driven. Production is multiple times several decades ago. The fact is, in Africa, we have a serious challenge in the sense that we tend to be net consumers. Most of the things that we, we consume back home, apart from basic staples, agricultural products, most of the things are things which were more or less either the concept of research work was done in the West, and we tend to benefit from the final output, that's the product itself. So now what the AAU focuses on is promoting what we call STEM education. Currently, we have a project which we call Africa Centers of Excellence, which we do with the World Bank. We are, it's a, a partnership between the AAU, the World Bank, and the member universities, where we establish units within universities, which we call uh, centers of excellence. And the essence of this is, after having identified regional needs on the continent, we establish or we set up a center which will pursue research work relating to that identified need. For instance, if it's an area of, let's say, crop research, we'll establish a center, let's say, in Ghana, to edit, uh, edit train people in crop research work, do serious work in research work in relating to crops. And the essence is not just ordinary research work as we know in the past and for which we've been accused of. This is research work or application of research work, which would change the conditions that we are in. So from the point of view of the AAU and also as an implementing agency for the African Union itself, we serve as a catalyst to move this process forward. We also do a lot of advocacy. We also do a lot of advocacy to make sure the other sectors of education also, you know, come up. And also another advocacy in relation to how to make sure in our various national development policies, we tend to see education as a holistic whole. So this is what I would say for that. Okay. Uh, one of the critical questions uh, during the week, everybody listening, as I was interacting with our guests, Dr. Margaret Lisa and uh, Maxwell here, is the critical issue of uh, the uh, qualifying exam, which is practiced across, amazingly, 
across the whole continent of Africa. Our education mm -hmm. system was passed on by our colonial masters, and I know to most of us this is not a surprise. And this is what I did, Dr. Patrick. Okay, I sent this question to Nathan, we have we, we, we have lost him. I, I don't know what has. Uh... Okay, I think we we are back now. I can hear you now. Oh, I'm. I love. Oh. <laughs> Am I? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So I was saying that I asked this question to seven friends from seven different countries. Okay, francophone and anglophone, and I said to them, "We are looking at education solutions for Africa. The question I have for you is." This question I sent to a Ugandan friend, and I'll, it's just filling the blanks. This is the question I have for you. Does Uganda also practice the qualifying exam system at seventh grade level? Uh, you remember Dr. Ellis Maxwell, I sent this question to you. I said I was discussing this with different friends. Here is the interesting right. discovery. Yeah, here is the interesting discovery I made the Roger. I spoke to a friend in England, and he told me that there's no failing system or elimination system in England. They are the ones who left us what we practice right now. Dr. Margaret, 55, 60, 40, whatever years of independence, we are still practicing the qualifying exam system. Why? Right. Right. Because, you know, I said it earlier that, that as I am actively engaged with uh, in facilitating mentorship programs and, and teaching mm. in schools, you know, I discovered that the framework of our educational system is, is, isn't meant to give us independence. It is, it is rather it cages our brilliant minds, especially the minds of our young people in colonialism. And why do I say that? Because they are, they are locked in classrooms that are under resourced and, 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 they, they are with, with teachers in most cases that are underdeveloped. I, I, I was glad that Mr. Maxwell mentioned that governments need to focus more on developing teachers. And, and, then, mm -hmm. and then they learn about outdated philosophies, philosophies in this classroom. That locks them out of the realities of their communities. It locks them out of the realities of their nation and of their continent. And then we want to hold them to uh, uh, an exam to, to gauge the knowledge they have acquired. First of all, an examination is not the best way to, to gauge knowledge acquired because some people react differently to examination. So we have some brilliant minds that have been discouraged from education because they could not pass either at the sixth level, sixth grade level, or the seventh grade level, or whatever level in the different countries within Africa, or, or, or the twelfth grade, and they have dropped out of school. And these are our creative minds. These people, if they were given an opportunity to use their hands to translate mm. what they have, they have learned, what they have thought in the mind, to, to use their hands to apply it. These are our engineers. These are our creative people. These are our, 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 I mean, our art people. These are people that can shape our culture. But because we are bound in the colonialism uh, method of education, it's about passing. It's about an exam. And, and most of what they have learned and they are being tested on has nothing to do with their environment. This is something we really need to look at. If we want mm. to, our educational system to be relevant, 
we need to educate people in their environment. We need to educate them for solutions instead of being stuck in testing systems that are so outdated and, 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 and dropping or, or discouraging our, our brilliant minds from pursuing and being the people that they are really called to be. So relevance is, is a big piece in, in our education. And I know we will have, there will be future sessions on, uh, in other areas, but, but this is the foundation, it's relevant. Yes, everybody listening, like Dr. Ellis, I said, this is part one of two, three in the series. We're going to do on this education thing, Broja. Uh, 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 everybody knows education has got a lot of components. And what we decided to do in our preparation for this is sort of just lay a foundation because uh, our airport brother here, Maxo, gave us the three components of uh, uh, what this is all about. Uh, before we continue, I don't know if any of my colleagues have got it, because this is something we are very passionate about, uh, Robert and Dr. Ellis, on this show. We are very passionate about this education thing. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in. My brother from We The North, uh, Dr. Patrick, anybody? Yeah, nothing. Um, mm. uh, Dr. Ellis gave a, a, a wonderful example. Uh, and our fr our friend uh, Maxwell, uh, she says, "How is it that we are teaching the child about an apple, an apple they have mm. never seen?" And remember, I was in college, Nathan, when I was uh, learning mm. about a CPU, RAM, uh, computer. All these were uh, I was that was in college in uh, Chingola School of Accounts, memorizing about a computer. And without a computer in front of you. Yes, that is the state of our education. Maxwell talks about uh, the relevance of teaching uh, children to what is relevant in, in, in industry. Again, most of our children, uh, be it in uh, what I'm thinking, Dr. Patrick, as I listen uh, to the two, probably we need a program uh, where we literally go in class. When we hear a teacher yes. teach about an apple, we hear a teacher teach about a, a, a car or a fire truck. Next week, they have to go out and learn about <laughs> uh, about those things. Which which they if they can't find those things, maybe not don't teach them. And that comes to your final question, where you've asked this elimination process. Why are you eliminating a child? who cannot give you an explanation of what an apple is, something they have never seen. Mm -hmm. Why are you taking them away from school? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's important. I don't know. Noah, you want to jump in here, everybody? <laughs> this, this well, I, have, something. I just wanted to ask something here, if I may. Go ahead. Can I, before you come in, Max, so can I make you all yeah. laugh here? Can I make you all laugh? Do you remember London Bridge is falling down, the song? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I like, I like Dr. Maxwell's laughter. I like that. I said, do you remember London Bridge is falling down? Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. So yes, we why weren't we saying, my sister, why weren't we saying Limpompo bridges falling down, falling down, falling down, Limpompo bridges falling down? But we're saying London bridges falling down. I don't even know where London or what London is, where it looks like. That's but right. I can relate with it. I can relate with 
Okay, for us in Zambia, there's a there's a big bridge, eh? Dr. Ellis, Kafue, Kafue yeah. Bridge. Why weren't uh-huh. we singing? Eh? Noah, why weren't we singing Kafue Bridge is falling down, falling down? We were singing London <laughs> Bridge is falling down. Help me understand yeah, that. It's, it's, sorry, let me just come in before Annette. I mean the before Annette Maxwell comes in. comes in. Yeah, go ahead, Noah. Oh, Maxwell, sorry. Yeah, so I think this is very interesting. I am been following the discussions. I'm very happy that actually this education topic has been brought back. So just like I've been saying a number of times, the culture it's very very important that we mm-hmm. understand what we mean by the culture. Because last time we had the young man who was talking about um, Facebook, the social media, and things like that. I myself, I, I have a a 14, 15 year old man's little princess in the house running around. So every time we play music, of course, mm-hmm. we do the ABCs, we play, I mean, the Apple, A's for Apple and everything else. I've always had second thoughts about the whole thing, listening to Old McDonald, the London Bridge is falling down. All these songs, they are geared to the Western culture. And when we are teaching our kids to Roger's mm-hmm. point, all those things, I have said this a number of times on the show, that it was never the intention of the Europeans to have black people in the position that we are in. When you look at the school system that we are in, they, it's built mm-hmm. in with a failure mechanism. You, When you get to the seventh grade, of course, you write the exams. If you don't get mm-hmm. to a certain point, then you are cut off. In the Western world where we are now, there's no such a system. So no, that just no goes to show you that the Europeans, it is just like uh, the U- U- U.S. Uh, uh, the U.S. Army. It is the number one employer in the whole world, and the reason why it's the number one employer because it has to maintain a certain uh, level of superiority over the other countries. When you look at the Russians are going into Crimea, all these North Koreans are doing this. Everything is about power. Who has the power to control and dominate the world? We as African people, it's very good when we have discussions like this because we have to restructure our education system so that it's tailored to our African countries, our culture, our tradition, and our roots. Because everything that we talk about, I mean, inculcating our little kids, especially like, I mean, I, I, I usually tell my wife that, no, no, we can't really be playing this type of music every time because it gives these kids a misleading sense of confidence about themselves, especially about our culture. Our culture has to be in the forefront to drive our, our, our intentions. And last one mm. point is, Every time when you look at the United States, it always says it's protecting U.S. interests in the Pacific West or in the Persian Gulf, in the Far East. When you look at those, when you ask an individual American, what is your interest in the Far East? They have no idea what you're talking about. The U.S. protects corporations. So when we look at Africans, what are our interests? We, we just want to assimilate into the Western world of doing things instead of looking at our own way. So I am very, very happy that at least the lady, she is going to Africa to try to 
I mean, I mean, change the curriculum that we are sort of centered and focused on in these African countries. So I think it's mm-hmm. incumbent upon us as African people who have come to this country. We've seen now at least it's up to us to go and bring about some meaningful change. So I think I'll end there right, right now. Yeah, that's good. Maxwell is coming in now. We are the slogan okay. at, the, uh, conf- at the conference, enough is enough. Right, Dr. Ellis? Maxwell, enough <laughs> is enough. No, it shouldn't just apply to to what uh, Roger. The the slogan shouldn't just apply to political things or what France has done in its former colonies. Enough is enough. We need to change the curriculum. Go ahead, Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, you see, one thing I always believe in is uh, uh, the destiny of Africa is actually in the hands of Africans themselves. And I believe, I believe with very relevant education, we can turn around everything. You understand? Uh, one thing I want to say about African education, which we may not know because that's how we were grown up. You understand? Our nature of education is purely Eurocentric. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's purely Eurocentric. It was fashioned and developed based upon how our former colonial masters wanted it to be. So when you look at it critically, and that's what we've been inherited, when you look at it critically, you realize that the focus of it was on the humanities and the social sciences. That's right. And they left out the aspect, or they didn't focus on the aspect which would drive development, which is production mm-hmm. itself. That's the sciences yeah. and technology engineering that we are talking about now. And it's now that we have realized and we are doing our best and we still, we seem to have been caught up in this quagmire of whatever. You understand? So we yes. need to look at it and even go down to the basics. Academia has been challenged to look at curriculum, not from the point of view of what is only relevant, but even the culture around African education, the foundation. It should be Afrocentric. Why is it that a continent which is the cradle of civilization and of all, and of all learning, Mm. It's now lagging behind. Civilization of Africa dates back well over 5,000 years. Mm. Yes, it does. European, yes, once European civilization dates back probably about 1,500 BC. We still have architecture, and I keep saying it. We still have architecture in Egypt, which is well over 3,000 years and still standing. No major well, my, my, my brother Maxwell. Sorry yes. to cut you short, my brother Maxwell. You see, and yes. even when we talk about the civilization of Africa, all of us tend to point mm-hmm. to the pyramids. What well, about the, 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 the structure that was discovered in Zimbabwe? What's the name? Is oh, it, yes. what, what is, help me out here, my, my guys. The, the, the stones in Zimbabwe, that structure which, was, which is in Zimbabwe. Yes, yes. In the great Zimbabwe, you know, yeah, you know, the, all those ancient structures that the geologists have discovered in Africa, that was before mm-hmm. the time of Europe invading our countries. And then look at this, Maxwell, when you talk about social sciences, our curriculums of higher education being more inclined to social mm-hmm. sciences. Roger, mm-hmm. what are the organizations providing most of the employment in Zambia? It's an NGOs mm-hmm. that have come from Europe. Mm-hmm. How many factories are there are coming up, or how many mm-hmm. manufacturing or 
research centers mm -hmm. or things like that. They want mm -hmm. to keep it that way. So as we, mm -hmm. our time is almost done here. The, the, how, how, Dr. Ellis, how should we, what should be our next step from here? We are not just talking here. What should be our next step? We were singing at the conference, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that what I would say, um, the, the, the number one item would be to encourage diasporans. African diasporans have a lot to offer Africa because we mm -hmm. have the opportunity to be educated in the best systems. We, we know how we are learning or we've learned how things should be. And mm -hmm. we, our involvement is, in Africa is very pertinent. I, I cannot tell you the reward. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how much I am growing as a person just being mm -hmm. in, on the ground in Africa, working with young people, I mean, mentoring them one-to-one, and what I'm learning, what I'm discovering, it is changing my entire perspective. I was one of those people that came to the West with the mindset that I will not go back home. I'm done. My life is settled. Mm. But now I cannot even think about not going home because I, I know that the role that we can play home is so vital. So some, mm. some of the solutions that, that diaspora can take, because we have a lot of educators in the diaspora, and we have a lot of people with educational background or that can offer services at different levels in, in Africa. For with, with regards to relevance, I think that we can focus on an entire redesign of the curriculum to allow mm. learners to connect to the content. We educate them in their world. Do you know that back in 2016, I offered a, a, a teacher's workshop on presentation skills. Every teacher in that room 80% of the participants were teaching before I was born. These people mm -hmm. were my older sisters and my, some of them were teaching with my dad. They retired, they came back, they recycled back in the system. Some of them are way, oh, I was the youngest in that room. And I mentioned learning styles. And teachers that have been in the system for a minimum of 25 years and longer have never heard about learning styles. So they are knocking children on their heads, calling them stupid in class because they have a different mm -hmm. style from the teacher style of presentation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we need to, entire redesign is needed, and we need to invest in developing these teachers to teach for solutions. Instead of encourage memorization, we teach, they teach our learners to be creative and to be innovative. What, what is wrong with learning about the engines of vehicles that we'll never get to experience or touch? How about we teach them how to use their hands and how, challenge them to think about how to create an engine and, and, and be able to build a car in their country and sell it outside of the country to the world. So we should encourage our, our people to coordinate the mind and the hand. And also we mm -hmm. encourage and embrace informal education. Instead of just caging everyone in the classroom, and uh, we need to empower them to be the creative minds to obtain solid technical training. It's very, very needed. We, we train for skills. So those are uh, three solutions that I think every educator who's listening from in the diaspora and even in Africa will be challenged to rise up, make a move towards the educational system and contribute. We have a lot to offer. And like you said it earlier, Africa can only be built by Africans. Yes, yes, yes. That's very true. That's very true. Well, uh, you wanted to make a comment, Maxwell, before we end here? There's a lot to talk about. This is part one of the many series we are going to do. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy the points uh, Dr. Ellis made. 
You know, it takes a lot of people or the current generation. It takes them a number of years before they come to realize that in this world, everything is not about economics or your standard of living or how much you earn. Most of the time, Dr. Ellis is lucky enough to have realized it at a very early age. A lot of people realize this when they are relatively very old and they cannot contribute much. Mm. If, you look at our, if you look at our founding father, they were relatively young. Kwame Nkrumah, all the others, these were people who were in their 40 years, 40s, so to say. Mm. You understand? Yeah, they are in their 40s, but look at the sacrifices that they made. What I see missing out in Africa now is the spirit of Pan-Africanism. This is a major ideology, which if you lose, worries us a lot, because it promotes patriotism, nationalism, whatever you can think of as the African personality. And it's because we are losing the spirit of Pan-Africanism, that's why we are going our individual ways. Thank you. Yeah. My question it's very important. Doctor yeah, go ahead. Ellis and uh, Maxwell, what is there? Maybe just one thing out of today uh, we should uh, uh, hold on as our marching step to what we, what we want. The, the, just the one thing you, you think uh, an African listening to this radio, or that, those, those listening to some block talk radio and around the world, what is the one thing from today as we continue? Building our our building blocks from today, uh, we, we should uh, we, we should look to as we start this match. But we I all have a that, that one thing for me would be I want that person to, to know that people cannot rise above the knowledge they acquire. So if we the Africa that we are dreaming of, the the solution is in us, and we have the power to educate our people to the level of the Africa we want to see. Yes. What, 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 what I would say mm-hmm. is uh, all Africans, either politicians, those living on the continent, or in the diaspora, we should have a common purpose of going, okay. not going home to resettle in Africa, but of helping the African continent. Mm. That's, okay. that's good. That's good. Oh, That's you. powerful. Yeah. Thank you, Roger, for that. Yeah, because we need to start, we need to have building blocks and uh, have some working points where to yes. start from and know where we're going to begin from. So you cannot rise yes. above the knowledge that you have acquired. And all Africans. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. All Africans. We're not. Yes, but my sister, go ahead. <laughs> I just thought about this. One thing we can do today for the gentleman that, that posed the question. We uh-huh. have a foundation called Coaches of Influence Foundation. Our entire work is centered around mentoring young people in Africa. And we are looking <clears throat> for coaches from the diaspora to help us to mentor one-to-one these young people. So like one that. thing everyone listening can do today is go to our website and, and, and register to be a mentor. Apply, I mean, fill out a form to be one of our mentors from the diaspora. We just graduated 20 students from the program, for a nine-month mentorship program. We are about to roll out a, the, the second phase for, for 18 of them. And then for the 1.0 session, we have 85 applicants. So we need a minimum of 85 mentors to mentor mm. them for the next nine months. 
So our what is the is name of the website, Dr. Ellis? Coachesofinfluence.org. Coaches of Influence. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. dot org. C-O-I Foundation. Okay. I. That's it. For coaches All right. of influence. C-O-I Foundation.org. We have the form out there. We need a minimum of 85 mentors from the diaspora to help us kick off the end of January to mentor the 85 young people for nine months. Mm, excellent. There you go. There's something for you to do, Noah, Bella, everybody yeah. here. Huh? Wow. This is, like I said, part one of the two, three series that we are going to do. A lot of work, a lot of, I mean, it was interesting when I was talking to people behind the scenes about all this. And people didn't even realize that the, the issue of uh, elimination, that elimination exam still exists. I'm like, yes, people still write grade seven exams and they fail. All right. Education Solutions for Africa, that was one of our takeaways, and I'm grateful for our, to our guest today, Dr. Margaret Ellis, joining us from Arizona, and my brother Maxwell in Chicago. Is that right, Maxwell? Okay. I'll turn to Maxwell. I'm yes. in D.C. now. Oh, yeah, now. <laughs> the other day we were talking from Chicago. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, like, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. This is your platform. If you want to disseminate or communicate information, please just get in touch with me and say, hey, Nathan, Roger, everybody, there's something we'd like to come and talk about. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for thank having you us. Excellent, excellent. All right, everybody, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We are going into the holiday season. Next week is the beginning of December, and I'm going to be going, what I'll be doing, a political series, talking to our political leaders from Zambia. They need to tell us what their vision is. The elections are coming up in 2021. My guest next week will be Dr. Nevers Mumba. Let's go back in for Open Forum.